0: The Mitchell's Front Page podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11.
1: In the newspaper, the Geelong Advertiser, on the weekend, there was an article about Tom Rowe, and uh, he's been in the paper a fair bit lately, actually, but it says that he's quit the Liberal Party and he's now decided to run for Corangamite as an independent. Tom Rowe is on the line. Good morning, Tom. How are you?
0: Morning, Mitchell. It's always great to be back on your program. But here I am sitting in my car talking to you rather than in your studio. Uh, we have 12 million people in hard lockdown. That is almost half the country. We're 18 months into this absolute disaster. And this time around, I can't even blame Dan Andrews and his contact traces. This is substantially the responsibility of the Morrison government, and most particularly that less than useless Minister for Health, greg hunt this is a disaster and this delta variant is horrific and we've now got a very tough discussion to be had in our community on how we learn to live with this disaster it is shocking
1: at the same time it's probably not his fault this time around that we're in lockdown but we've really copped it well and truly more than any other state if new south wales spent over 100 days more in lockdown over three months uh, they would still have had less time in lockdown than we have here in victoria
0: um sure but wait for the future i don't think new south wales particularly greater sydney is going to get rid of the delta variant and worse i don't think we are either this is the problem it is so virulent when COVID first hit um back in or australia back in very early march last year and there were a few travelers coming back internationally back into the country including myself for that matter i knew two people that had the virus there was the so-called Aspen, uh, you know, breakout. Yes. Um, and I knew one of the guys in there quite well personally. And he was in the front page of The Age and all our local pop- you know, media publications. He got hammered. Um, but since then, and I knew one other as well, uh, a friend who copped it out of Japan, but I barely know anybody directly associated with me that's had it uh, over the, over the last 18 months. Well, over the weekend, we've had, well early or mid last week Barnhead's primary school where all my kids went to school well that was in that's now a complete not a lockdown with a case there that's come out of the uh, mcg um uh, breakout of course and now my daughter's workplace in cremorne slash richmond is now a tier one site And there's a whole story around that as well over the weekend and her experience with being tested and the way dhhs has conducted itself in moving their particular workplace to a tier one site it is impossible to control this, this blasted Delta variant, but we've had 18 months to learn this. We knew there'd be variants, and here we are with the most disastrous quarantine arrangements and now a disastrous vaccination rollout, uh, and we've got other parts of the world opening up. I, you know, so there was a girl from... Um, Sacramento young lady from Sacramento talking of the weekend an Australian girl and and she was saying talking about They've completely opened up on the west coast of the United States and broadly everywhere through the states as well But west coast absolutely they've normalized there are no masks restaurants are going They're completely and utterly really open. We've got the British Grand Prix running at the moment You look at the grandstands on the TV completely full people cheering carrying on here. We are Half the country is locked down. It's unbelievable
1: uh, just looking at the situation here in Victoria and the exposure sites, and I want to get onto your political campaign in a moment and all those other things, but in terms of the situation here, I think we're right on the line because you've now got exposure sites in Mildura and, as I knew said, Churchill Island. So all these regional Victorian locations, which we haven't really had before, or at least not since that very first wave, so that makes you wonder about how long this lockdown could be. And uh, it's unlikely that regional Victoria would be spared in any way from the full extent of the restrictions that metropolitan melbourne is used to
0: i think that's right mitchell but it's not just a question of how long this lockdown will go and it's going to run longer i mean i think there's just been an announcement over the radio just before we got on air so there's no doubt this is going long and i think there was some announcements late last night but the issue now is the rolling lockdowns uh, or not or doing something different because i don't think most regrettably we can get rid of this delta variant it is so contagious And it is now in so much parts of our community and it's bouncing around everywhere. And as much as I've been very critical of the Dan Andrews government contact tracing arrangements, they failed so miserably, uh, our community last year. It is impossible for them to keep up with us now. There are hotspots and tier one sites, you know, blooming everywhere like a gross algae. It's, It's just absolutely terrible. And they must be doing their heads in. So it's out. And now we've got to try to navigate our way through this disastrous vaccination program led by the Morrison government on how we navigate and lead our community to accept this reality before us. We cannot afford to have rolling lockdowns. This game is up. All right. I understand a short five day lockdown right now. There was no choice for the Andrews government to do what it did. And you just spoke to that a minute ago. But what do we do after this? This can't keep going. And, you know, I mentioned in our email exchanges over the weekend, Mitchell, that my wife's business, Sarah, she's just closed down the retail side of her business. She's had a business on the Bellarine for nearly 20 years, Get running as a reopen. caterer for well over 25 years. She will not open a retail business. Her staff are gone. Now, we can afford as a family unit. She will migrate her business into a wholesale business, and we'll do some other things. We, as a, as a family unit, can, can you know, facilitate and fund that. But how many other small businesses are out there that are run by, you know, couples? That is, that's their entirety of their income and being shattered. And many of those businesses are run by women and often single women. And they've got no other way to go. There's no other path for them just to hang in there. This is just so bad. Uh, I just, uh, I, just I, I just, I don't know which way we're going to go with our brave leadership. And we have no brave, brave leadership out there, whether it's federal or state or local government no one is out there now the business community is reaching out if you look at some of the articles in the australian financial review today they're now beginning to really hammer and this includes the editorial we have got to start telling our community and some of our individual politicians have matt canavan is one good example and good on him are reaching out and saying we've got to live with this thing i know it's bad and that will mean people get sick and die we can't change this this is a disaster and there are choices to be made as hard as it is but we cannot have rolling lockdowns now mitchell it's too late we've had 18 months to get ourselves sorted the morrison government has absolutely failed us on vaccination and quarantine and now we're going to have to deal with this ourselves and it's time that our community leaders everywhere stepped up and started being brave and started leading us with this reality as tough as it is.
1: Now can you explain the situation with your daughter because from what I can see her workplace was declared as a 1b exposure site which I didn't know there was a tier 1b I thought you either were in tier 1 or tier 2 what's 1b?
0: Yeah I don't know it was Brand new news to to me. So my daughter, Caroline, she works in PR and she works in quite a large firm uh, in Cremorne slash Richmond in in Melbourne. Um, uh, She was contacted by her employer early on Saturday morning that there'd been a a positive COVID case that had visited their office on Wednesday and Thursday uh, during the week. Um, And the process starts. But it took DHHS until well into late Sunday afternoon to finally declare their status, which was and I'd never seen this word before, a tier 1B. I don't know what that means. I think it means that you're sort of tier 1, but we're just not sure how contagious or whether it might have spread within your collective. We're just not sure. And then finally it was moved to just tier 1 on the the public website. But that occurred late on Sunday night. In that intervening period... It was only the employer taking the lead and being proactive so well done to her employer and i saw some of the email chain and it was fantastic they were so proactive guiding their staff what they needed to do and all the rest Uh, 14-day quarantine you must go and get tested and all the usual protocols but where was dhhs nowhere to be seen and and look i understand in isolation to anything else if that was all they had to do it was a total fail but the stress and load on that team now is just insurmountable you know, and maybe John Aaron will talk to this when he gets on the radio a bit later because he's much closer to it than me, of course, but it's just, it's just so hard now. I don't know how they can cope. And we're seeing the whole system fracture now. Whether it's in New South Wales, who had a very good contact tracing system, or this is a total fail up there now. They can't possibly keep up with this. And plus they've got mass community resistance in some of their local government areas out there. And that's just massively compounding the problem. But down here in Victoria, whether it's Melbourne or the regions, you can't have our teams keep up with this. And so you see this lag time, 24 hours, 48 hours, before the official notices come out. What did the people do in the meantime? Now, in that case, a proactive employer did the right thing. So Caroline went and got tested. They were all in 14-day quarantine from Saturday. That's what they were told, but nothing from DHHS until late on Sunday night. But there's another story also on the way that she was tested, and this was mm. another really interesting thing, the 1B thing, which I'd never heard about beforehand. Mm. But if you heard of this self-assessment testing in our hospital system, so Caroline went into... To um, the queue at the Alfred Hospital, where she got tested, now the people in there don't do the testing now it's you do it yourself. you stick the, the thing into your mouth and you stick the, the wand up in your, into your deep into your nose. There's, there's good guidance, there's constructive guidance. But have you known about in hospitals where you do it yourself?
1: No, I didn't. And you get that test, and what you then send it away to a lab, it doesn't automatically change colour or something if you've got COVID. No, no, it still no. goes
0: away to a lab. But but it took. It was only three or four hours, and Caroline had her results back. But the, the, the hospitals facilitating all the testing, but it's a facilitation, uh, and obviously they're collecting the samples and off they go for their testing. But you do it yourself, you know, the, the 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 stick up your nose and into your mouth and the swabs that are taken. I hadn't heard that beforehand. Now, of course, these self-tests uh, are everywhere in you know, supermarkets, petrol stations, you know, other you know areas where people can get access to these types of goods through Europe and America, but in Australia. Nowhere to be seen. Now the hospitals are using it here, but why aren't these testing kits everywhere through here, so we can get greater community engagement on testing, particularly with this horrific Delta variant out there, and our whole system beginning to struggle with the amount of testing that's going on, the testing that needs to be done, and just getting the community on board. Uh, you know, we we are always ten steps behind the rest of the world, Mitchell. We're just in complete denial. And we're lagging, and the rest of the world's going to open up. It's opening up right now. Those that are direct peers, whether that's the UK or Europe or America, yes, there are terrible problems in the likes of Indonesia and Malaysia and India, but particularly within within our regional neighbourhood, Indonesia and Malaysia, we've got to help those countries as well to do their thing. But we've got to help ourselves as well, and we can't help anybody with this catastrophe before us. Half the country hard locked up. 18 months in a disaster.
1: Um, What I don't understand is why you can't automate big parts of the contact tracing system through the QR code. So you would uh, identify the person that's a case and then look at their mobile number. Then from that data you can see all the places that they checked into on the QR code and then from that you can then build a picture of who was there at the same time and almost instantaneously uh, have all of those people receive a text message so that you could be a possible exposure. I don't know why you don't have those automated systems in place that would work faster than humans can
0: a very good question for john aaron when he's on your radio program i have no idea but caroline got no contact from dhss over the weekend until i think she saw it first on the official site i don't know what's happened since then but no text from the health regulatory authorities now this you know eight months ago i'd be screaming about their failures this has got really hard now but yes given our qr system and taking the human element out of it why isn't the system all automated it's not i don't understand she should have had an alert be aware you're being assessed and constant alerts about what to do and to be mm. aware until we
1: formalize this
0: none of the above better
1: to have too much communication than not enough now moving on to your political campaign and your political aspirations First of all, uh, you're not happy that Stephanie Asher is the endorsed Liberal candidate for Carrangamite.
0: Well, I'm very unhappy. Now, as your listeners will know, because you and I have, you know, spoken many, many times over the last three and a half years since I ran in that 17 council campaign, I've been very critical of the federal government. Um, you know, that was pretty originally Turnbull and then and then Morrison, um, and. I've openly spoken to the fact that I'm an active Liberal member um, in this region, um, most particularly in Karangamite. Now, uh, equally, Stephanie and I have had some sort of political slash personal issues. They end up being infused, of course. That's not to say that Stephanie is not a good person. I don't know Stephanie well, but I have met her a number of times. We've certainly met over the last summer to discuss some of our issues and spent some time together. Uh, She has reached out. Stephanie is a good person. She's very hardworking. She's very capable. And obviously, in a political sense, she's done particularly well. That last council election, she did amazingly well. A lot of people have supported her. Good on her. But I am fundamentally opposed to some of the things that she stands for. Um, And I was, you know, I'm very upset that she even was admitted to the Liberal Party because I don't personally regard her as a Liberal. Now, that's not to say there aren't people in the party that support her. They do. They do all right but i don't think she should have come to the party i was very upset and angry when you know some weeks i think after the 2017 campaign she sought to join the liberal party i think there were some issues with that and some pushback and it took some months so you'll probably hear references that she just joined the party in the middle of 18 and that's factually correct but where was the intent Uh, some months earlier i think just weeks after the 17 campaign when she ran as we all know on a very much an independence platform and speaking against the two-party system and not bringing politics to the chamber and all the rest and i think it's been the complete reverse so i regard that as very very hypocritical i was very you know, angry at the time, and on your program in August, I think, 18 it was, I openly said she needs to resign from council. Now, we've moved on from that, because quite bluntly, you know, there was an election, council election late last year, and, and Stephanie did a, you know, politically a cracker job, and she had a monster primary vote, good on her. So that side, I think, has fallen away. But I don't want Stephanie being my representative for the Liberal side for uh, if a Karangamite, I just I don't want her there. Now that's my personal view, all right? But this is something that Stephanie's wanted, and she's campaigned for it internally within the party system, and there is some support, undoubtedly, including from some well-known federal politicians, shall we say. Yep. Um yeah, now that's just that's just the reality. Now there is a process within the Liberal Party, as there is in the Australian Labour Party, where you go through a, you know, a pre-selection process. It's contested ordinarily. And the call for potential candidates finished on the 28th of June. Now, apparently, Stephanie was the only one. And Simon Ramsey spoke to this issue early last week when he was doing a program. Mitchell, even he, who is a, I think it's fair to say, a strong supporter of Stephanie, is one of the one of the strong supporters of Stephanie, he even expressed his surprise that the Karangamite pre-selection for the Liberal Party was not contested. Well, I'm utterly amazed. When Simon ran, I think it was for the 2010 campaign, there might have been 11 Yes, people. that's right, yeah. We, we, when Sarah ran in 13, there were three. Um, Knuckles was one very strong candidate ultimately against Sarah and there was another guy out of Geelong who was very good as well. And that was vigorously contested, particularly between Sarah and Rod. It was very close and Sarah got up and well done to Sarah Henderson at the time. But they were vigorous contests. Corangamide is a serious seat and it is very marginal as we all know. It was very heavily contested between Liberals and Labor. Uh, in the 19 campaign, of course, and Libby Coker got up. But, you know, the, the kitchen sink and everything else was thrown at that seat with, you know, vote buying, which is another big part of my problem, to try to buy the seat, and it didn't get up. But Sarah, to her credit, held it to a very, very thin margin, contrary to all the other movements that occurred throughout Victoria. But, mind you, billions were thrown at the seat. Um. So I, I just, you know...
1: Well, can I ask, did I you have aspirations... Had, had Did you want to run in that pre-selection? Were you wanting to be the Liberal candidate for Karengamad?
0: No, it wasn't appropriate because, as you well know, I've been very critical of the Morrison government. I can't possibly stand uh, for pre-selection for the party, having been so critical, and suddenly change the tune and saying, no, the Morrison government's wonderful. That's just not appropriate. And it is part of a team, and you want to have a contest, and I get an opportunity to express my view. But come the 28th of June, um, the... um, the, the call for candidates uh, to, to put their applications forward um, was the final date. But only 10 calendar days later, up until the 8th of July, suddenly it's announced that the administrative committee uh, is going to uh, endorse um, Stephanie. And the very next day, there's the big splash page and all the media that's come out. So we've got this single candidate in a seat that's ordinarily absolutely hard contested within the party. One candidate, I simply ask the question, what pressure was put on others? Now, I have been told by some sitting parliamentarians that pressure was put on other potential candidates to pull back and leave uh, Stephanie a clear run. I, this is just so wrong and such at odds with the way we ordinarily operate as a party. So I'm furious with that. I don't want personally Stephanie representing me. And for these, for me, this was the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back enough. I resigned the following day, and I've declared my candidacy, Sharon, as an independent, for the seat of Corangamite in the upcoming federal election. And, you know, it's not what I wanted. It's not where I thought I'd be, you know, just 10 or 11 days ago. But here we are. And this is, I'm going to put up one hell of a fight. I'm going to be here to win. Uh, and hopefully I can provide the sensible centre-right an alternative to the Liberal Party. Look at Stephanie's splash page. And this is a huge problem of mine, the politicisation of overdevelopment through the through Corangamite, through particularly the Bellarine, but broadly through Corangamite. The core color of 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 the liberal party uh, as everyone would know is sort of dark navy blue i mean dark rich blue and all the values that associated with the liberal party over over the decades since it was formed in 19 no, i think it was 44. you look at stephanie's splash page i mean it's aqua blue shading into green you know, it's it's just this morphation, morphation of the of the party messaging and system where we're supposed to be just strong in the centre-centre-right position, talking about all these liberal values about growth and investment and opportunity, and most particularly providing our children uh, the same economic opportunity that we've enjoyed ourselves and an affordable place to live. And I think a lot of the policy rhetoric now coming out of Stephanie, and she got, she talks in her, in her splash page, I am very concerned about overdevelopment. Which is why in our council since 2017, we've directed growth to the north and west. Um, so, and this is about managing their growth. Now, what came first? I mean, was it she representing her own political aspiration in, in the way she drove that policy? Was it a beforethought, an afterthought? I, I don't know. But we're supposed to be about providing, I thought, as liberals. Growth and backing investment and infrastructure funding and delivery and social equity and an opportunity for our children. And I just think this policy positioning is utterly at odds with all of that. And I think the branding that the regional federal body is now promoting with this aquamarine into green tinge is just wrong, it's gutless um, and and it's populist. and And just driving this this wave of anti-growth sentiment and it's just wrong it's not in our interest now there's no doubt a lot of people believe and agree with stephanie's positions particularly through the bellerine uh, i understand and empathize and appreciate that i think a large part of this blowback is about the disgraceful infrastructure funding both the funding the, the, the timing of it the delivery and people have just lost complete confidence in the system we have to change that side but we have to be brave and we have to lead And running down the left side and copying what Labor does and Libby Coke will be doing and smashing development and growth and all these things, it's just fundamentally wrong and it's against the interests of our children. We've got to change this rhetoric. Mitchell, I intend to do that, and if that means that Stephanie's going to desert, and the, and the Liberal Party locally is going to desert the centre-centre-right, well, I'm going to come in and try and fill that void, and provide the people of Corangamite an
1: alternative. Well, we'll have to leave it there. We've run out of time. I've got a lot of things I'd like to ask you about your campaign, and all those sorts of things, so I might see if we can maybe speak to you again next week, or something uh, when we have some more time. But thank you so much for being on the program, and thanks for sharing the stories around no problems, COVID. No Mitchell. Appreciate Always it. my
0: pleasure. Always my pleasure.
1: Thank you. Thank you, you very much. Uh, Tom Rowe with us there, who's now the independent
0: the Mitchells Front Page podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays
1: from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchells Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or wherever you get your podcasts.